Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to the Gospel according to St. Luke. St. Luke chapter 6. And look at a very, very short story in that text. I uh, just want to announce that I do have some CDs available. In our, uh, there's a table somewhere in the building. Uh, you can stop by in the foyer all right, and uh, support our ministry. Um, I believe that will be a blessing to you. They all come with a money-back guarantee. All right, so amen. So if you get a CD that doesn't bless you, amen, you can just reach out to our ministry, and we'll be glad to refund, amen, uh, whatever you have sown, all right? Amen. We'll also pray for you because something's wrong with you. Praise the Lord. All right. St. <laughs> Luke chapter 6. Going to look at verses 5 through 11. And it reads, And he said unto them, That the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. And it came to pass on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And looking round about upon them all, he said unto the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored whole as the other. And they were filled with madness and communed with one another, whether they might do to Jesus. We want to focus our attention on verse number 10. The command that Jesus gives to the man with the withered hand when he said, stretch forth thy hand. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject stretching for my miracle. Amen, stretching for my miracle. Why don't you turn to somebody and tell them I'm stretching for my miracle. Father, send your word in this house. Let stretching faith take place and cause somebody to receive that which they need for this hour. And we will give you praise. Speak through thy servant and be glorified in this moment in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Stretching for my miracle. There are some things that we can never receive from God. Until we're willing to engage in a stretch. In other words, there will be some blessings and godly benefits that will simply surround us because of the grace that he bestows upon us as his children. But on the other hand, I believe that there are greater blessings, miracles, and healings that we will never receive until we are willing to extend ourselves and go after them. You see, while we are living in a day when we in the church claim that we desire the blessings of God, it has become apparent that we are not really willing to stretch out and do what is absolutely necessary in order to obtain them. 
we seem to want an easy and convenient blessing. We want the blessing delivered to us and downloaded on our computer. We want a microwaved, emailed, FedExed, faxed, pop-up, instant, Facebook Live, Instagram, live chatted and tweeted blessing. The kind of blessing where God shows up according to our declaration and gives us the blessing, amen, without us having to extend ourselves and go after them. We have become name it, claim it babies. We want blessings without sacrifice. The receiving of favor without the giving of our substance. We want babies without labor and titles without process. But as much as we may desire that in the time in which we are living, I've come by to tell you today that there's still some blessings that we will never receive until we are willing to go beyond the norm and the ordinary. There are some things that we will never get until we are willing to engage in a stretch. Turn to somebody and tell them you're going to have to stretch for this one. Mm-hmm. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number six, it says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and watch this, that he is rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That word diligently in the Greek, it means with earnest and sincere desire. So in other words, God is looking for somebody to bless. God is willing and ready to bless, but he is looking for somebody who will dare to seek after him. Somebody that wants him more than they want anything else. Somebody that wants him more than the applause of men. That wants him more than pimped up rides and MTV cribs. That wants him more than bling, bling, and cha-ching. That wants him more than lips, hips, fingertips, thighs, and eyes. That wants him more than pecs and biceps and triceps. Somebody that wants God so bad that they are willing to do whatever is necessary in order to get what God has for them. I wonder if I got anybody in the house that really, really wants God. Glory to God. And and I found out that as much as we may not like the fact that God demands that we stretch, the God that we serve, oh, reserves that right because he is the God of the stretch. It was this God of the stretch who came to Job in in the midst of his trial and said, where were you, Job, when I stretched out the north over an empty place and hung the earth out on nothing? It was this God of the stretch who came to Moses at the Red Sea when the army of Pharaoh was behind them. He said, Moses, take that rod and stretch it out over the water. And the Bible says the waters parted and they walked across on dry ground. He is the God of the stretch. It was this God of the stretch who came to Joshua when the children of Israel were in battle. The Bible says that the battle grew hot and they needed more daylight in order to get the victory. So God took a 24-hour day and stretched it out for 48 hours until the children of Israel got the victory. He is the God 
of the stretch. Glory to God, it was this God of the stretch who came to a woman as Zarephath, who the Bible says during a time of famine that she and her son, amen, all they had was a little bit of meal and were about to bake a cake and die. The man of God said, hey, make me a cake first. And obedient, she did what the man of God told her to do. And the Bible says that God took that meal and he stretched it out until the meal never ran out. He is the God of the stretch. It was this God of the stretch who came to a Shunammite woman who the Bible says the bill collectors were knocking at her door. They were coming to take her sons into slavery in order to pay off her bills. But the man of God showed up and said, hey, honey, what do you have? She said, all I have is this little pot of oil. He said, go on out and borrow some vessels and don't just borrow a few. The Bible says that that after the man of God prayed that God took that little bit of oil and stretched it out until she paid off all of her creditors. He is the God of the stretch. Oh, it was this same God of the stretch who in the form of his son Jesus looked out over a multitude of 5,000 people. The Bible says they were hungry and they needed to eat. And Jesus said, what do y'all have? He said, all we have is this little lad and he's got a few fish sandwiches. Jesus took it in his hands, lifted it to heaven and blessed it. Sent out the disciples and fed the multitude. The Bible says they ate and were full. And do you know what our God of the stretch had the nerve to do? He had the nerve to send out the ushers for another offering. And by the time they came back, they had 12 basketfuls. Glory to God. He is the God of the stretch. Hallelujah. And he says, if you really want to be blessed, you got to be willing to stretch your faith in order to get what I have for you. Somebody lift your hands and shout stretch. Hallelujah. And that would be the command that he would give to a man in the synagogue as is recorded in our text in St. Luke chapter 6. When we come to our story here, we find now that the tide of opposition toward the ministry of Jesus was now beginning to rise more and more. And at the center of the controversy that his haters held against him was this whole issue of the Sabbath. You see, these by this time, The Pharisees had created some 39 strict laws regarding the Sabbath concerning what you could and could not do and what was considered to be work on the Sabbath day. These rules were held to be the most holy of all the laws and they were both meticulous as well as ridiculous concerning the Sabbath day. For example, a tailor on the Sabbath day He was told that as the sun began to go down, he had to put down his needle. Because if he was holding his needle, it was considered to be an instrument of work. Therefore, he would be in violation of the Sabbath day. If you were at your house on the Sabbath and one of your tools fell off the counter, you would literally have to wait until the Sabbath day was over in order to pick it up. Because if you picked up that tool, you would be considered in violation for holding an instrument of work. Listen, they even went as far as to determine whether someone was wearing something or whether someone was carrying something. For example, if you had a brooch on your shirt, 
the priest would look at you and he would determine whether you were wearing the brooch or whether you were carrying the brooch. If you were a woman, for example, would uh, have to be limited in terms of wearing a wig in certain places because the priest would look and wonder whether she was wearing the wig or whether she was carrying the wig. Was the brother wearing the toupee or was he carrying the toupee? Was she wearing the weave or I'm sorry, I didn't say all that. But anyway, y'all get what I'm saying. But that was the kind of religious atmosphere that was present in the house of God. A religious spirit had invaded the synagogue. But yet in the midst of all of that, Jesus would use that atmosphere to set the stage for one of the greatest miracles recorded in the pages of scripture. The miracle of the man who was healed with of a withered hand. However, what is sadder than the fact that this man had a withered hand is the fact that in order to get healed, he had to press through a group of people who had withered hearts. Now, Jesus, he would eventually command this man to engage in an act of faith by stretching for his miracle. So I want you to go with me today as we take a look at our text and we want to look at this miracle. We will talk about the day. We will talk about the damage. We will talk about the distraction and then we'll talk about the deliverance. Are y'all with me this morning? Say amen. First of all, the day, the day. Turn to somebody and tell them don't miss this moment. So our text opens by Jesus making a statement. He said unto them that the son of man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath day, it was actually something that God had established at the beginning of time as a good thing. Somebody say a good thing. According to, history, according to the account the Sabbath day was set aside as a day of rest and observance. It was set aside for the worship of God. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says that after God had created the heavens and the earth, after he had scooped man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, the Bible says that on the seventh day, God rested. Now understand, God did not need to rest. He didn't need a day off. He didn't need a massage or a protein shake or an energy drink or a glass of Gatorade. No, he is God. As a matter of fact, the psalmist said in Psalms 121 that he that keepeth Israel neither sleeps nor does he slumber. Isaiah chapter 40, has thou not known and has thou not heard that the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, amen, he fainted not, neither is he weary. So God did not need to rest. But what God was doing was establishing for you and I a principle that is set forth to help us to live lives that are healthy. It is called the six to one principle. Somebody say six to one. What does that mean? That means that God has designed us physically, emotionally, spiritually, 
in such a manner that for every six days of work, we require at least one day of rest. Mm -hmm. So no matter who you are, regardless of how anointed you might be, regardless of how much power you have in your life, regardless of your age, if we violate that principle, we will find ourselves suffering in one way or another. You may be anointed and appointed, got a double dose of the Holy Ghost, a member of the church and ready to go should he come or call. But if you violate that principle, it is going to affect your relationships. It is going to affect your life. It is going to affect your well-being. It will literally affect everything around you. Amen. You may be a powerful super saint. Amen. Faster than a speeding deacon. More powerful than a missionary. Able to leap tall demons in a single about but if you don't get your crazy self some rest it is going to affect you in one way or another and there are some of you under the sound of my voice right now amen you are running this race doing this 24 and 7 mindset that we have amen in our society and you are suffering in your relationships you can't get along with anybody you can't do this and you can't do that and you think that you need to make all of these changes well listen to me I come by to tell you today that what you simply might need is some rest Oh, turn to somebody and tell them you might just need some rest. That's right, you might just need some rest. Amen, you don't need another wife. You've been to the altar, amen, three or four times already. You might just need some rest. Amen, you don't need another job. You've had three of those this week and about to leave the one that you have. No, you might just need some rest. No, you don't need to find new friends. You can get along with the ones you have if you get yourself some rest. You don't need to find another church. The church that you have is already good, baby. No, you just might need to lay aside some time and get yourself some one more time turn to somebody else and tell them you might just need some rest Mm -hmm. but watch what has happened by the time we come to our story here the Pharisees and the Sadducees had taken a good thing somebody say a good thing that God had established and corrupted it with a case of bad religion. Hmm. Can I talk to y'all this morning? One of the deadliest powers on the face of the earth is bad religion. Mm -hmm. People kill in the name of bad religion. Terrorists do what they do in the name of bad religion. Uh The Twin Towers in New York came crashing down in the name of bad religion. You see, I found out that when bad religion comes on the scene, it takes good things that God has established and causes them to become corrupt. My God, it can take a thing like salvation and bring man-made rules to it and literally take something that God has blessed us with and, and establish and turn it into something that nobody wants. Mm. I got any folk in the church here this morning that grew up in the Pentecostal church? Okay. Y'all remember uh, how we took holiness 
and made it into something that nobody wanted. I mean, we had like a hundred rules for the women. Y'all remember? I mean, y'all sisters couldn't do nothing. You know, you couldn't wear makeup. You know, you couldn't wear jewelry. You couldn't dye your hair. You couldn't wear pants. You know, y'all kind of had to roll out of bed and say, let's see how bad I can look today. You know, and... and, And it's strange how we had all those rules for the women, but only two for the men. You know, all you had to do is show up, you know, and pay your tithes and look spiritual and you were good. But the women, y'all could not do anything. But we took something that God had established that was a good thing called salvation and holiness. And we corrupted it with bad religion. My God, you see, everything that bad religion touches, it is going to ruin. My God, have mercy. You see, when you only have religion without religion. Relationship, it'll cause you to behave in strange ways. Yeah, you can look at your brother and say that you love them on Sunday and then talk about them like a dog on Monday when you got bad religion. Uh-huh. You can smile in my face and tell you, tell me how much you love Jesus who you have not seen. Why you can hate somebody based upon the color of their skin who you see every day when you got bad religion. My God, when you got bad religion, my God, people have to pump you just to get you to praise a God who has been good to you all week long. Oh my God, but how many of you in here got more than bad religion? Glory to God, hallelujah. Would you turn to your neighbor and tell him I got relationship? I got relationship, hallelujah. Relationship will make you love everybody. Relationship, glory to God, will cause you to praise them when you don't feel like praising them. Relationship will cause you to bless even your enemies and to pray for them that despitefully use you. Glory to God, I'm so glad that I got relationship. Somebody give them a praise right now if you know what I'm talking about. Glory to God. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in here. Somebody praise him for relationship. (laughs) But by the time we come to the text, bad religion had corrupted the synagogue. It was full of hypocrites. Mm -hmm. But you know what I like? about both Jesus and this man in our text is that even though they knew that the synagogue was full of bad religion, even though they knew that there were hypocrites in the house, even though they knew that when they got there, some folk would look at them funny and not want to treat them properly. Even though they knew that things were not perfect in the house, glory to God, every Sabbath day, they still got up and went to church. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Would you turn to somebody and tell them, I just got to go to church. That's right, I just got to go to church. My God have mercy. All of this argument about whether or not the church is essential, I don't even have to ask that question, baby. I know it's essential because I just got to go to church. Lord of God, when all hell is breaking loose in my life, let me go to church. When things are going well, let me go to church. When I'm blessed, let me go to church. When I'm walking through my storms, let me go to church. I wonder 
if I got anybody that just loves to be in the house of God. Oh my God, things may not be perfect in the house, but I got to go to church. There may be some hypocrites in the church. Oh, but if one out of every 12 is a hypocrite, we're not doing any worse than Jesus and the apostles. So I'm going to be in the house of God, giving my God the praise. I got to go. (laughs) I've got to go. (laughs) Now listen. Because I believe that Jesus and this man with the withered hand had two different reasons why they kept showing up. Jesus kept coming because maybe in the back of his mind, he said there might just be somebody in the midst of all of those hypocrites that might just get the message. But you know what that man with the withered hand was thinking? I believe that in the back of his mind, he kept saying that if I just keep showing up with all of my issues, if I keep showing up with with all of my problems, if I keep showing up with my withered hand, that maybe, just maybe, today just might be my day. Oh, glory to God, hallelujah. Oh, I come out to tell somebody in the name of Jesus, I am declaring that today is your day. Hallelujah. My God have mercy. That man kept showing up. All of the laws of, the, of, of, of their time was saying that he was supposed to be separate from everybody else. All of the laws of their day was saying that he was not worthy. But on this particular day when he showed up, there just happened to be an itinerant preacher from Nazareth by the name of Jesus, hallelujah, who is saying to him, today is your day. Glory to God. Would you turn to three people around you? Tell them today is your day. Today is your day. Oh, glory to God. They were saying you showed up on the wrong day. Today is the Sabbath day and nobody's supposed to be healed. But Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And if I say today is your day, it doesn't make any difference what anybody else says. Today is your day. You say, I'm not qualified. Today is your day. You say, I'm not worthy. That's all right. Today is your day. You say, I haven't been in the church long enough. Well, the devil is a liar. Today is your day. God says it is your. You've been praying. You've been fasting. I come by to tell you one more time. Today is your day. One more time. Turn to your neighbor and tell them today is your day. So we talked about the day. But let me move on. Let me move on. And let's talk about the damage. The damage. The Bible says that on this particular Sabbath that there was a man whose right hand was withered. The word withered in the Greek it means dried up and deformed. 
So the word basically says, describes that which once held life, but now the life is gone. Like a flower that has been plucked up from the ground and laid in the middle of the sidewalk. And now its leaves are dried up. Like a piece of bread pulled out from the loaf, laid on the countertop in the heat of the noonday sun. And now it's crispy and dried up. All dried up. That which was once strong is now fragile and weak. That which was once beautiful is now twisted and deformed. Dried up. Like a business that has run out of finances. Like a vision that has gone to sleep. Dried up. Like a dream that has died. Like a ministry that's weary and lifeless. Dried up. Like a career that has been surrounded by roadblocks. Dried up. Like a marriage that has gone from wedlock to deadlock and from the ideal to the ordeal. Dried up. The Bible says his hand was withered. You see, our hands, they represent the extension of our being. Our hands actually put into action that which is in our minds. We think with our brain, but we act with our hands. As a matter of fact, the measure of our expertise in any subject and practically every profession is expressed by the use of our hands. Nurses minister care and healing with their hands. Surgeons perform surgery with their hands. Carpenters and construction workers build and construct with their hands. Computer techs work on computers. Artists paint and express their ideas with their hands. Writers create their books with their hands. Fighters knock out their opposition with their hands. Architects and engineers lay out the plans for buildings and cities. Accountants keep track of their money. Musicians play music. Janitors and maintenance people clean with their hands. Athletes catch and throw. Police officers direct traffic. Even preachers talk with our hands. And when somebody was really, really getting on your nerves back in the day, you would tell them to talk to the... <laughs> but now, the devil had attacked this man in such a manner that 50% of his ability to express himself had been taken away. His hand was withered. 50%. So deep down, he lacked that sense of wholeness. He felt like a half man. If he was a woman, he would have felt like a half woman. Do you know that you can have something happen to you in life that can devastate you in such a manner that it leaves you feeling like a half man or a half woman. It leaves you feeling like you'll never be whole again. 
50% of his productivity, 50% of his ability to express himself, 50% of his ability to learn a, earn a living had been taken away. His hand was withered. But, but, but hold on, because the Bible didn't just say that his hand was withered. It actually says his right hand was withered. Question. How many left-handed people do I have in the house this morning? All right. Okay. You guys are special, by the way. Just wanted to let y'all know. But you saw the hands that came up? That's about the average. According to stats, they tell me that one out of ten people on the face of the planet are left-handed. And that's significant. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. If you are here and your son is left-handed, mm -hmm. teach them how to throw a baseball. Okay. All right. And when he assigns his contract with the Atlanta Braves, all right, don't forget to pay your tithe. Okay. Amen. And also send a check to Lee Ministries for my consultant. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but according to scripture, the left hand and the right hand are significant. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, and even in the, in, in, in the Middle East today, the left hand is considered to be a place of curses and weakness. Jesus gave the illustration of those who would stand before him in the last day and give account for their talents. He would say to those who were faithful, enter into my right side, into the joys of the Lord. And to those who were uh, unfaithful, he would tell them to enter into the left. Even in the Middle East today, if a child is born left-handed, oftentimes they will tie that child's hand to his body so he can learn how to function with his right hand. Because they consider the right hand to be the place of strength, the place of authority, the place of power. As a matter of fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he ascended unto heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. So this man had been hit in his right hand, his place of strength. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I used to always think that the enemy wanted to attack me the most in my place of weakness. But you know what I found out as the years have gone by? I found out that what he really wants to do is hit me in my place of strength. You see, because if he hits me in my place of weakness and I start falling, I can reach up and grab onto my place of strength and brace myself. But if he hits me in the place where my strength is, the place where I never thought the enemy would ever be able to get his hands on, the place when I would look at him like MC Hammer and say, devil, you can't touch this right here. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. That place where you just knew you had it all together. And he, if he hits me there and I start falling, not only do I fall, but I have nothing that I can reach up and grab onto. So not only do I fall, but I start reeling. 
And there are some of you right now who know exactly what I'm talking about because you're sitting in this sanctuary today with a smile on your face, but people have no idea that that devil has attacked you and hit you right in the place of your strength. You've always had a good marriage, and now there's tension and the enemy has hit you in the place of your strength. You've always had a strong family, but the enemy hit you in the place of your strength. Always had a solid career and a great financial situation, but now the enemy has hit you right in the place of your strength. The enemy hit you in your ministry, and my God, you're sitting here and nobody even has a clue, but not only are you falling, but you are reeling. And just like that man with the withered hand, your place of strength is dried up. Your vision is dried up. Your finances have dried up. Your marriage life is dried up. Your family life is dried up. My God have mercy because the enemy has hit you right in your right hand and now you're walking around with your withered situation. Can you see that black man with the withered hand? My God walking into the synagogue on that day with his dried up situation. My God, his dried up circumstances, his dried up spiritual life, his dried up testimony. But what Watch how God works. Because on this particular day, the man with the dried up hand is about to come into a collision course with the very God that said, I am the water of life. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout water water it was this same Jesus who stood before a Samaritan woman and said honey you've been sipping Bud Light for too long but if you drink of the water that I have to give you shall never thirst again hallelujah it was this same Jesus who on the day of the feast stood before the people and said if you believe on me as the scripture says out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water hallelujah I can might have tell somebody get ready there's water in the house turn to somebody and tell them there's water in the house that's right he's about to pour water on some dried up situations this morning he's about to pour water on your dreams he's about to pour water on your finances he's about to pour water on that situation get ready there's water I come in the spirit of Elijah. I see a cloud over your head the size of a man's hand and I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Somebody lift those hands and give God a praise for water right now. I feel the Holy Ghost in here. Come on, the devil told you that it's over. The devil is a liar. God is about to turn your situation around. Whenever there's a drought and water falls, it reverses everything that the drought caused. And I just happen to believe that God is about to reverse some damage in this house right now. Glory to God. Get ready for your turnaround. It's about to happen. Come on and give God a praise right now. Hallelujah. Glory to God, let me move on. Because we talked about 
the day we talked about the damage. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm, for the sake of time, I'm just going to combine these last two. We're going to talk about the distraction. Turn to somebody, tell them don't be distracted. And the deliverance. Turn to somebody else and tell them he still delivers. Hallelujah. All right, let's go. The Bible says that this man with the withered hand comes into the sanctuary. Jesus is there who is the water of life and is about to bring deliverance to this man and his dried up situation. But in the midst of this, there is about to come a potential distraction. Can I tell y'all something? Yes, sir. A lot of times we in the church think that once we make up our mind that we're going to get our deliverance, that the devil is going to pack up his bags, get on a flight to the Bahamas, and just sit back and let us get our deliverance. You know, we think that once we name it and claim it, you know, grab it and have it, mark it and park it, declare it and wear it, all that stuff, right? We think that the devil is just going to throw up his hands, say, I've lost while you just float to your deliverance. No, that's not how it's gonna happen. I hate to disappoint you. As a matter of fact, the closer you get to your deliverance, the enemy's gonna fight. And I don't know who I'm talking to, but there's this idea that when we're walking in the will of God and doing what God tells us to do, that everything is gonna be great, that all the bills are gonna be paid the first of every month. Everybody's going to like us and all that stuff. No. The closer you get to doing what God tells you to do, there's going to come opposition. There are going to be potential distractions that are going to rise. Stop acting surprised. Expect it. Turn to somebody, tell them expect it. <laughs> And I need to warn some of us who may have just started coming to church. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but listen. Not only should you expect it, but don't be surprised as to where it comes from. Let me show y'all since some of y'all looking at me like I'm, like I'm crazy. So let me, let me show you. Look at verse number seven. What does it say? It says, and the gangbangers, drug dealers, prostitutes, rioters, watch, is that what it says? Uh, um, uh, no, that's not what it says. It says, and the scribes and Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an occasion against him. So, so hold up. Are you trying to tell me that this man's opposition did not come from outside the house? It came from inside. The religious folk. 
Can, can, I, can, I, can I warn y'all? Everybody that comes to church, just because they come here doesn't mean they know Jesus. Uh, some folk just come out of tradition and they have enough religion to make themselves miserable. And misery loves company. Uh-huh. So don't be surprised when you're getting your praise on. You got Deacon Deadhead in the corner looking at you funny because of the way that you worship. Don't be surprised that an evangelist ever dry is going to get an attitude when you get your breakthrough. My God have mercy. Amen. Stop acting surprised because some of your opposition is going to come right from the house of God. The religious people try to get in the way. The religious people thought the music was too loud. The religious people were sitting there saying, oh no, you can't be healed on today. Today is the Sabbath day. You're about to break all of the rules. And they watch him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. Let me tell you something. You got to be warned that there are some people that actually like to see you dried up. Because they're dried up. Uh -huh. And when they see you going forth and doing what God has called you to do, they will rise up and try to do everything that they can do to try to distract you. But how many of you in here refuse to be distracted? Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. If you don't like the way I shout, glory to God, you better move to the other side of the church because I come to praise and glorify my God. Hallelujah. If you don't like the way I sing, amen, move to another side because I'm going to be up in the house getting everything that God has for me. Now watch this. Because I like the way that Jesus dealt with this situation. The Pharisees are standing there to see whether Jesus would heal so they can accuse him. So notice that the man with the withered hand didn't have to say anything. Jesus dealt with the hypocrites. Turn to them and say, hey, what y'all looking at? And he said, the Bible says, he knew their thoughts. So in other words, and Jesus looked around and said, I know what y'all thinking. Mm -hmm. But what you've got to understand is that your thoughts will not affect either my, neither my power nor my actions. Mm -hmm. Y'all got a minute for me, for me to talk to you? Okay, listen. As long as you were sitting around overly concerned about what people are going to think about you, you will never get what God has for you. Uh -huh. There are some of us right now who can't function in our calling because we're worried about people's opinions. We can't praise them like we really want to because we're worried about what folk are going to think about us. We can't go for it because we think that somebody's going to remind us of what we did five years ago. And we're sitting there bound because of the opinion of people. But let me help you understand, I've been alive long enough to come to the realization that no matter what I do, people are always going to have an opinion. Oh yeah. 
Drive a big car. Gonna call you extravagant. Get a small car, they're gonna call you cheap. Always gonna have something to say. Mm -hmm. Dress up, they're gonna call you flashy. Dress down, they're gonna call you a bum. They're always gonna have something to say. Uh -huh. If you're friendly, they're gonna call you a flirt. If you stand off, you're gonna be stuck up. They're always gonna have something to say. That's why you got to make up your mind that you are going to please God and you're going to take advantage of this moment and you will not be distracted. Glory to God. Stop sitting around worried about what people are going to think. They're always going to have an opinion. But you know what I found out? I found out that God doesn't have a committee meeting with people before he decides to bless me. Oh my God, have mercy. He can bless me while you're criticizing me. He can bless me while you're talking about me. Glory to God. Yes, he doesn't, he doesn't meet with you before he decides to bless me. <laughs> and I like what Jesus does because he addresses the hypocrites. He said, is it better for me to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? To save a life or to lose a life? In other words, he deals with the hypocrites. But watch this. Because Jesus could have turned to that brother and said, hey, listen. I, I know you got this withered hand. And, and I do want to heal you. But you got all of this opposition and all of these haters in the synagogue. Uh, and I don't, you know, I don't want to upset them. So I tell you what we'll do. Let's let's slip off into that side room over here, and we'll get over there, and I'll make it do what it do. And you know, you you'll be. <laughs> That's not what he did. <laughs> he turned to the man, surrounded by his haters, the very folk that said he would never amount to anything. The very folk that said he messed up five years ago and he was this and will always be this. The same people that said his daddy was a loser, so he's going to be a loser. The same folk that said you'll never graduate, you'll never get married, you'll never amount to anything. The same people that criticize him right in the midst of his haters. He turns to the man with the withered hand and says, stand up. You know something? Can I, can I make a confession to y'all this morning? I'm grateful for the times that God blesses me behind closed doors. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know those secret miracles? Uh -huh. But can I confess something? I kind of also love it when he blesses me right in front of my haters. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. I mean the folk that said I would never make it and God just opens up the windows of heaven and pours me out a blessing right in the middle of my haters. When he does like the psalmist in Psalms 23 and pours me out a blessing, hallelujah, and blesses me and prepares a table before me right in the presence of my enemies. And check this out. You ain't had a good meal until you've eaten it in front of somebody that didn't want you to have it. Glory to God. You talk about joy. 
Hallelujah. I come by to tell somebody, get ready, because God's going to do a divine reversal right in front of your enemies. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Give them a praise right now. So in the midst of his haters, he said, stand up. And then he tells him to do something strange. He says, stretch forth your hand. You say, why is that strange, preacher? The reason why that is strange is because of the condition of this man. His hand was withered. There was no stretch in his hand. Muscles dried up, tendons, nerves, skin, bone, everything was dried up. But Jesus calls him to do something that he was not capable within himself of doing. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had God tell you to do something that you didn't have the ability to do all by yourself? You didn't have the connections. You didn't have the education. You didn't have the qualifications. But yet you hear him saying, stretch! What does it mean when God tells you to do something that you don't have the ability to do? What it simply means is that he who has commanded it will release in you the divine power to accomplish what you what he has called you to do hallelujah no wonder paul said i can do all things through christ that gives me strength no wonder he said now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us i come by to tell you stretch Stretch left the hand of Jesus, entered into that man's fingertips. I believe that tingling started. And before you know it, muscles started coming back to life. Nerves started jumping. Glory to God. Hallelujah. My God. Then all of a sudden, the man who was not able to stretch began to stretch. I believe, church, that God is calling his church in a time of desperation. In a season where our nation needs it more than ever before, that it's time to engage in something that we cannot do on our own. It's time for us to stretch, church. Hallelujah. Stretch for a miracle. Stretch for our families. Stretch for our nation. Stretch that our land might be healed. Stand with me all over the house right now and lift those hands. Let's begin to stretch our faith all over the house right now in the name of Jesus. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.